Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, Jason Van Tatenhoe. I gotta say, one of my favorite parts of this whole podcast project thing is just making the music that I use for the intros and in-between interviews and such. It's called bumper music in the, the biz. And um, I, I'm just using loops and, and GarageBand, but every uh, every episode I make something unique. And, uh, you know, I've never really delved into music much, but I do so love it. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of makes my day getting to, to put together a little bit of little string of music for uh, the show on a regular basis. So today we have, as promised, town administrator Travis Mahulluk, who's coming on to talk to us about fire mitigation. I thought it would be a good idea to continue... Uh, the last conversation that we had with the uh, Worcester Polytechnic uh, group of students that are in town uh, doing a study. And uh, I had mentioned that I'd, I'd actually last week reached out to, to Travis to talk about um, some of the mitigation uh, practices that they're putting into place and just talk about like the role that power companies play in this changing world that we have with the high winds and the fires that are just happening nonstop and what we can do to try to, to mitigate some of that risk and what's actually, you know, what actually happens when, um, you know, a tree or snow or something falls on these power lines. It, it, it's, uh, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a dry subject, but I, I get into it because I like having a house and um, we live in the mountains. So we, we need to be better informed about this stuff and, so I thought the best person to talk to for, um, and we, we are kind of in a unique situation here in town because the town actually owns the power uh, production and the lines and such and supplies it out to other local communities. So uh, yeah, so we, we had a really good conversation with Travis Mahulluk, the town administrator here in Essence Park, Colorado. So let's just jump into that. I, uh, I'm pre-recording this episode because I have a big... Uh, it's like a, a art and media networking event in Denver down at the, uh, I'm represented by Bit Factory Gallery down in Denver. And uh, they've got a cool little mixer type thing that I wanted to go down to and then kind of get out there and network a little bit more with media folks. Um, Outfront Magazine is going to also be a part of things. So should be an interesting night. And, um, you know, I've written about the Bit Factory Gallery because actually uh, it's one of the brothers of a local family that owns a gallery down there in Denver. It's right on Santa Fe. If you've never been there, man, go check out the first Fridays that are happening. The world's coming back to life a little bit. And uh, it's it's first Friday of every month. And it's just like this cultural melting pot there on Santa Fe Avenue in, in Denver. And it's just it's a great experience. Like get down there and check it out. I'm down there all the time. I oftentimes go. And then when I'm not showing, because it's just, it's such a good scene and it's good to get kind of out of the, the, the mountain environment for a little bit and just go, go participate in some urban culture. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'll be doing tomorrow. So I figured I'd put this podcast out, uh, well, not put it out. I'm recording it and I'm going to schedule it to go out. So we're going to go ahead and just jump into this interview and, uh, talk with Travis and we'll go from there. Okay, folks, we're back again with town administrator Travis Mahulluk, and we're, we've been talking about wildfires this, this week in the other podcast episode, and it, we just had the Soul Shine fire happen. We just had um, a new fire in Boulder. Thankfully, it was contained you know, that afternoon, 
Uh, but right near the NCAR um, fire, there's been a new class action suit um, against Excel Energy by the Marshall Fire victims. So I thought it'd be a really good time to talk about kind of this changing world we're living in and how in Estes Park, we have a rather unique uh, situation with the town owns the power company. So uh, hi, Travis, how are you doing today? Doing well, Jason. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Um, so let's, let's just have a conversation about what it means as a, as a town that, you know, we, we do have um, the power company. There have been uh, incidents where major fires have been uh, caused by down power lines and such. And just talk about mitigation and, and the changing world we're living in where we're, we're seeing fires happen multiple times within, you know, I, I would say our community because, you know, the Boulder area, many of us drive down through that area on a weekly basis. Um, you know, it may not be right in town, but we've had multiple fires around us within weeks and everything seems, seems to be changing so quickly. What, what is the town doing to, to safeguard and, and kind of think about this new world that we're living in to try to safeguard moving forward? Yeah, Jason. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to start off with kind of the environmental context here. Uh, people are, especially in Colorado, are feeling like fires are more frequent, they're larger, uh, they're more impactful. And I think that's actually substantiated by you know, the record that we have. Uh, if you look back to 2020, uh, the largest fires in state history, the top three, I think maybe the top four, have all happened within the last three or four years. So uh, someone just the other day sent me a, a new study um, related to wildfires in the West. And the study basically confirms the perception that there are more and larger fires and that, you know, protected changes in climate, fuel, ignition sources, wildland, urban interfaces means that, that the future of, of wildfires in the West looks different than the past. We can't rely on our previous models. So along with that, I'm going to talk about our town utility, our electric distribution utility. Um, that's really where my experience and knowledge is uh, my core competency, I should say, uh, not pertaining to other utilities, PG&E, Excel, all these very different situations. I don't know enough about those to weigh in, so I'm not going to, but I can talk a little bit about what we're doing here locally. And we are in a little bit of a unique situation. We own our electric distribution infrastructure and providing electricity in the mountains has inherent risks, um, both to a reliability standpoint, but also from a wildfire standpoint. Uh, in the Rocky Mountains, especially with you know 300 miles, give or take, of power lines, uh, you're not going to be undergrounding this, right? Undergrounding is the foolproof way to really limit your risk of wildfire uh, from power, starting from power distribution. It's, it's not going to totally eliminate it because you still have to get from transmission line to distribution line, but it's, it's a pretty good way to really limit that uh, threat. So we, at, we really don't have a choice on that, do we? Because of the geography and the geology of where we live. It, it would take hundreds of millions of dollars to underground all the power lines in Estes Park. And, and it's important to note for your listeners that we serve at the town of Estes Park, our power and communications department serves power 
beyond our municipal boundaries. So we serve power to Allens Park, we serve power to Glen Haven. Uh, so we go well beyond our um, municipal boundaries when we're providing electrical service. And some of these long runs out to Allens Park down to, to Glen Haven uh, and through those areas, fairly heavily forested. So I'll talk a little bit about what we do to both protect the reliability of our power source, but also to prevent or mitigate the risk of wildfire ignition from our distribution infrastructure. But it is important to note for your listeners that the power provision in the mountains is inherently risky. I mean, we can limit risk, we mitigate risk, and we can always do better. But the idea that there is a, a future where the town of Estes Park is able to eliminate risk posed by power lines it is, is probably not feasible, at least in any realistic time frame with you know, financial constraints that we have. So that being said, uh, not being able to solve the whole problem is not an excuse for not solving the problem that you can solve. So we really are looking at now three main categories of mitigation measures. Uh, the first one is investments in our hard infrastructure assets. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about what exactly that means, but basically reducing the risk of wildfire ignition by making investments in equipment and uh, materials. Uh, the second is programmatic changes. So beyond just upgrading our equipment is looking at what we do when the fire risk is elevated. And as you've mentioned, you know, we, we have more months than ever that are of elevated fire risk. You know, we have more months where the winds pick up, the winter winds pick up and there's no snow on the ground, but the moisture is not there, it's very dry. Those are high risk environments. Red flag warnings we've been hearing a lot more about uh, at the state level. They've even talked about looking at what criteria really uh, triggers those red flag warnings since some of our destructive fires in the past year or so started and ignited in under conditions that didn't qualify as red flags. Uh, so those programmatic aspects are really when we know that we're going to have an elevated risk, there are things we can do to our distribution system to lower that risk even further uh, beyond, you know, replacement and maintenance of capital. And then the last uh, of the three major mitigation categories is, is future planning and partnerships. So working with our partner, you know, we're surrounded by federal land, the National Forest Service, uh, the National Park Service very important partners in mitigating our risk from if, even beyond the, the power area, right? Mitigating our risk from federal lands that serve our entire country. So really those are the three main categories, hard infrastructure investments, programmatic and operational adjustments and future planning and partnerships. So starting with the um, hard infrastructure investments, really the best way beyond undergrounding if that's not a feasible option, the second best option is what we call tree cable. Tree cable is essentially insulated wire conductor. And it's really remarkable stuff. We have some fantastic pictures from actually a windstorm in December where uh, 80 foot trees, 70, 80 foot trees blew over and landed on power lines. But because wow. they were, yeah, not good. <laughs> but because they're tree cable, and I'll talk about what we do to maintain our power line easements in a little bit. But because we had tree cable installed, those trees actually, you could see in the picture, were leaning on that tree cable being supported by the power line 
but because it's insulated, they were not sparking. Uh, there was no power interruption, and it gave crews time to go patrol the lines, cut the trees off, and deal with it at, at that level. So it's really remarkable stuff. It's not that much more expensive than putting in, you know, uninsulated line. Uh, and so we've been really active in trying to replace our, especially our high risk areas with, from uninsulated conductor to tree cable, uh, doing that by both mapping outages, but also going through and working with planning efforts to identify where those high risk or high ignition risk areas are and making sure that when we're making our targeted tree cable investments, we're targeting those areas that are the highest risk. And uh, how do you how do you determine what the high risk areas are? Is it just from historic tree falls or what's the formula? Yeah. So it's a lot of it is uh, GIS work and smart meter work areas where we can tell that there have been a pattern of historical disruptions, uh, usually generated by trees or tough conditions. Uh, we actually in our GIS system have asset coded the different types of um, wire provision, whether it's insulated or uninsulated. And you can go through and um, based on how narrow the easement is, based on the characteristics of the service line, where it's going through, how many houses it's serving, you can go and code that, you know, high priority, medium priority, low priority. Uh, some of it is absolutely judgment. You know, these uh, are Power communications crews spend a lot of time on these lines and, and they have a good understanding of, you know, operational understanding of where the challenging areas are. Our goal is to move that out of their heads and into our GIS system so that when we're planning capital projects, we can continue to prioritize the, that spend, those limited dollars into those areas where it's going to make the highest difference. Uh, the last piece is something we started to do recently with the update of the Community Wildfire Protection Plan which I'll get into when we talk about our uh, future planning and community partner efforts, is really taking the fire risk data that is uh, included in that plan and layering it over our line data in GIS so we can see where those overlaps are. So we know that's a, that's a concerning area from a topography and fuel load standpoint, uh, and it, it has a, you know, a line that's uninsulated it really brings your attention pretty quickly to that. That is a high priority investment. Gotcha. How much, just real quick before we move on, um, how much of the infrastructure that we do have is this uh, insulated line? Yeah, I think, uh, Jason, I have to get back to you on that. Uh, I can check with our uh, power and communications superintendent, but I, I don't have a good percentage at this point for you. Okay. Beyond tree cable, the, the other investment we make is an annual um, contract for tree trimming. So we will go into our easements, and uh, those easements vary in width, but it, at the largest, they're you know, 10 feet on either side of the pole. And our contractor is a tree service. They'll go in there, and they'll trim tree branches that are risk branches that are hanging over the power lines that in wind could touch the power line. What that doesn't do when it's unable to do is, unfortunately, we have winds up here that are strong enough to snap trees in half, snap trees at the base, uproot trees from root balls, depending on what time of year we're talking about. 
And so when you have, you know, 60, 70, 80 foot tree, you're not going to be able to clear 80 foot on either side of a power pole because you wouldn't have any forest left. And yeah, people, you know, one, you know, we don't have a legal right to go beyond the easement. And two, you know, there's some environmental degradation concerns there. Yeah. And I mean, an 80 foot strip is not going to look good. No. And, you know, that's, you know, we, we think often of like, well, those long lines to like Allen's Park, but every one of us probably has a power line within, you know, a hundred yards of our property somewhere, whether it's yeah. buried or overhead. I do. I'm looking out at them now. Yeah. I could see mine from my bedroom window. And every once in a while, I think, you know, the uh, one thing we are happy to do though, if your listeners have a tree they're concerned about and they, you know, it's a threat to the power line and they want to take action on it. Our power folks will come out and look at it. And occasionally we can help out with lines or trees, danger trees that have interest to both, you know, our customers, but also to protect our infrastructure. So if, if I would encourage, if people have a uh, concern about uh, a tree on their property and its relation to a power line to give our power communications department a call, you can find their information on our website uh, and, and they'll be happy to help you and come out and take a look. Awesome. So overall, uh, we went back and did, done some figuring over the last few years, um, and we spend about $900,000 a year in hard costs in fire mitigation projects, whether that's tree cable, whether that's tree trimming. Um, and then on top of that, we put in um, additional staff time. Uh, to work on those mitigation projects in terms of installing uh, tree cable, working with uh, homeowners on potential risks. So uh, I expect that number will continue to grow. This is something that's of a lot of interest to our community, to our town board, uh, and, and to us as a power provider. You know, we, we live here too. We want to be responsible stewards of our uh, environment. We want to contribute to the safety of our community. So I think, you know, we're certainly motivated to continue to invest in reducing risk posed by our collective infrastructure. Absolutely. How historically, when did we, because we kind of had a unique position historically in town where the power was originally, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, provided by Stanley, right? Stanley was involved in the initial power, yeah, with the hydro plan out on Fall River. Um, I will get outside of my circle of competence if I talk about history too much. But, uh, yeah, he did using the hydro plant, uh, which is now a museum out there on Fall River. It's definitely worth a visit. It's open uh, seasonally starting on Memorial Day until the end of summer. Uh, when did we take it? When did the town take it over? Um, was it always a town or did, was it, you know, like an outside provider at any point? Yeah, the town uh, municipalized, for lack of a better word, um, the electrical system back in, yeah, I believe it was the 50s. I can get back to you on that uh, for sure, Jason. But the, uh, it, it was a, it, not always the town. So the town did pick it up. I, I want to say it was in the, the mid 50s. Yeah, so that, that's the really the hard capital. The next piece is operational adjustments. So whenever we get a red flag warning and our uh, power and communications folks are tied into uh, NOAA and their you know, weather forecasting there, 
we will actually, when the conditions are high fire risk conditions, we will go and make adjustments to our system uh, that help to reduce the risk of fire. And in the simplest way to conceptualize this is there are um, pieces of equipment that will try to re-energize a line if there's a service interruption. So I think that, you know, a pigeon lands on it or a branch falls on it and falls off. It's, uh, there is equipment that will try to re-energize that line so that you don't have to send a crew out to re-energize that line because, you know, we have uh, 300 miles of power line and they, they're busy. So that, when it's in the standard mode, will can re-energize, try to re-energize the line up to three times. And as you can imagine, if a tree is falling on a line and it's attempting to re-energize, it can create flashing and create chances for, for uh, the fire ignition. So when we have these high-risk conditions, weather conditions, we uh, go to what we call one shot. And that means that if anything touches the power line, it's cutting out. The downside of that is you, you suffer on the reliability standpoint because you're rolling crews anytime something happens uh, that will touch a power line at all. If it's a branch falling, if it's, uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's, it's snow falling on it. If it's a critter, uh, a crew will need to roll out to reset that, um, reset that system. So it, it's beneficial in that it reduces the power line trying to re-energize and creating the conditions for fire ignition. And it's pretty labor intensive because it means, you know, we're usually doing this when there's wind or there's high risk anyway, when our outages tend to go up in frequency. So it adds another layer onto those, but it makes sense from an operational perspective to reduce that risk in, in times when it's dry, there's no moisture on the ground, uh, the wind is blowing hard and, and we're concerned about, you know, potential ignition. So yeah. I'm sure most people would rather just deal with the power out for a little bit than a fire kicking off. So, yeah. And, and unlike, you know, some areas where the transmission lines are the challenge and you can get shut off for a day or more, usually these are, you know, specific instances where our distribution crews will roll out. They'll make sure that the line is clear and then they'll re-energize it. So instead of, you know, multiple days and it being a planned outage, it's, oh, hey, you know, it's just an, it's an extra level of uh, risk reduction that may create some inconvenience, but it ultimately does provide that community benefit in reducing the risk of an ignition. So it, it is labor intensive when that, when we go into that mode, our crews have to roll and set all of these manually right now. So they have to go touch all of these uh, high risk areas uh, physically. And then when the risk event is over, they have to go back and reset them to the standard, uh, to their standard settings. So it takes time, but we've we've really we're enhancing and refining that as we go, and it's it's worked fairly well the last few years. Now, the challenge and what we're trying to refine is sometimes the weather conditions are not good, but they haven't triggered a red flag, so. Kruger Rock is a great example. The fire uh, right. this last year, there were not red flag conditions that that morning, basically. That there was no warning. We hadn't done, you know, we hadn't gone to the, the one-shot um, system. So it, it's not perfect. You know, we're trying to refine it and work on it, but 
you know, at the end of the day, that tree cable is the best line of defense because regardless of, you know, what happens on the, the power interruption side, that tree cable is a very strong protective factor. It's not perfect, but it's very, it's, it's a very good protective factor. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that morning was, you know, everyone was going off to school, getting ready for work going. And then suddenly we hear, Oh, there's a power outage due to a fire. And, um, so I think, it, it, you know, just the nature of where we live, we have these weather events that can come in very, very quickly and at times unexpectedly. Yeah. And, you know, when more and more when we have dry conditions late into the fall and those winds are coming up, we all know winter winds are strong in Estes Park, that that level of concern gets elevated. So that kind of dovetails into the last of those three uh, major categories of, of mitigation initiatives that we're undertaking. And that's the uh, planning and partnership. So the town is working with the Watershed Coalition, uh, the Fire District, the county, uh, our federal partners at the Forest Service and the Park Service to update our community wildfire protection plan. And basically that looks at the surrounding area. It looks at federal land. It looks at private land, uh, state land, county land, town land. And it highlights areas that are of particular concern from a, a fuel load or a, a potential danger. And the benefits of having that plan are not only coordinating your local mitigation measures. So if the town's putting money into a mitigation and the fire district's putting money into mitigation, not only does it help coordinate where theirs are going and make sure they're going to a high priority area, it also uh, gives us I'll call it preference, or it gives us an advantage when we're pursuing projects and grants with our federal partners. Uh, and we've seen some really, you know, there's a lot of energy at the federal level to tackle uh, these wildfire risks and these wildfire hazards, especially in Colorado. So that it's a, it's a beneficial, not only from a planning standpoint, but from a resource access standpoint. So we're in the, the final stages of that. Um, expect to have some documents for the public soon um, for conversation and really talking about, you know, next steps and how we operationalize the mitigations that are highlighted in there. But I, I'm very excited about that because it, uh, you know, our, our plan wasn't terribly old, but as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, things have changed. Uh, things have changed a lot. The, the conversation is elevated. It's on people's minds. And People expect that, you know, we're all working together and that we're not, you know, just focusing on our own little uh, jurisdiction, but we're working together in a coordinated way for the holistic benefit of wildfire risk reduction in the Estes Valley. Is there any particular mitigation um, uh, planning or, you know, just on the horizon that you're particularly excited about you think might have some really good potential for use here? You know, I, uh, that's a little bit outside of my circle of competency. Uh, talking, to Chief Wolf, yeah, talking to Chief Wolf would be a really, he's a great resource. Uh, the fire official in the park, uh, Mike Llewellyn, is a great resource for those conversations. I'm sure they'd yeah. be happy to talk to you. Um, I don't want to get too straight too far out of my area of expertise there. Uh, Fair enough. I'm glad we're working together. The town is committed to addressing these issues. And we recognize that other than power, we're not subject matter experts in fire mitigation or firefighting. We really lean heavily on our partners for that. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thanks so much for again uh, coming on and, and having a conversation and, and talking about some of the issues we're living with here. Really do appreciate the, uh, you know, I just have an access to be able to, to, to have a conversation with you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jason. These are important topics. And I know people, it's on people's minds, especially as the weather warms up and the snow melts and, you know, we see what's happening across the front range and just in our neck of the woods with the Soulshine fire a few weeks ago. All right. Well, again, thanks. And uh, we'll talk with you again soon. Sounds good. Take care. All right, folks. Well, that's the interview for today. Hope you enjoyed it. I also had a chance to sit down with Lori Dale Marshall, finally. And uh, we got some exciting things there. I got a great interview. I'm going to probably put it out either this weekend or first thing next week. And um, yeah, that should be a good one. I also had the, the the principal of the S Park High School did reach back out to me today. We missed communication. I was in a meeting with my, my attorneys. Um, but uh, hopefully we will have that for you next week as well. So I sure hope you all enjoy the weekend. It's supposed to be beautiful. Might have some snow next week. We'll see. As always, you've been listening to the Colorado Switchblade, and I'm Jason Van Tatenhove. I'll talk with you soon.